0: Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs.
1: Hi, and welcome back to Your Family Dog. I'm Julie Fudge-Smith, and I'm here, of course, with the brilliant Tina Spring. But we are over the moon excited today because we have back one of our very favorite guests. Believe it or not, Zazie Todd decided to come back and see us, which we are so excited about. This is, I think, your third visit to your family dog, if not your fourth. So we are thrilled to have you back. And this time, Zazie has a brand new book out called Purr, The Signs of Making Your Cat Happy. Follows the same format as WAG. There's a list of tips at the end of every chapter. At the end there's a list of things to make a cat happy. It goes from kitten to end of life issues and it has a very handy index. So we are thrilled to have Zazie on to talk about cats and especially cats in relationship to our family dogs. So with that I'm going to turn it over to Tina for the very first question.
0: So Zazzy, we're so excited to have you here. I said before we started recording that it's happy Zazzy Day because we always enjoy having you as a guest. So I kind of view this as compared to dogs. Like I think of dogs more in terms of like what makes a dude happy and the cat, I assume that this is a much more significantly large volume because it's more like making a chick happy where <laughs> where there's more charts, graphs, and logarithms. Cause I just view cats to be significantly more complicated and much more even individual than dogs are. Does the
2: research prove that out to be true? Yeah, that's a great question. But first of all, thank you so much for having me back on your Family Dog. I'm really thrilled. This is my third time on the show, and and I've had so much fun the previous times. I'm really really happy to come and chat with you again because I love your podcast. So yeah, I think cats definitely are individuals. And if you try to make a generalisation about cats, there will always be someone who says, "Well, my cat is different." And you know, I learned this when I if I'm giving talks about cats. Like one of the things that I often say is that cats do not like to be petted on the tummy, and I. I have to always say there are some exceptions because every cat is an individual, because I know like if it's an in-person talk, someone at the end is going to put their hand up and they're going to say, but my cat does like to be petted on the tummy. But, you know, it's a common misconception that people have and most cats don't. And if they roll over and show you their tummy, they're not inviting you to come and pet it. They're, They're feeling safe enough to show it to you and you're going to completely ruin the mood if you reach over to touch their tummy. So that's just one of many ways in which cats are different. And I think cats have a much shorter socialization window than puppies. So it's from two to seven weeks instead of three until 12 to 14 weeks. Wow. Yeah, really short. And that all happens in the home of the breeder or wherever the kitten is being raised. So if the kitten's being raised in a barn and they come to you at eight weeks, you've missed their sensitive period for socialization and they haven't been around lots of people and they're probably not going to be very happy being around lots of people.
0: I can only imagine that my cat, because I didn't get him until he was like eight months old, he must have been socialized in a frat house, because he thinks he's a dog. He's like a weird cross between a monkey and a dog. He's just completely weird. And I was telling Zazie, I'm looking forward to the book because honestly, my cat creates his own enrichment, like knocking over my Mother's Day flowers and flooding all my paperwork for today. So you know, he stays off the table for weeks and months at a time, and then the one time there's a a vase with flowers and then all my paperwork gets flooded it's super fun so i didn't know that about the the prime socialization period that's stunning
2: Yeah so it's very different from a puppy when we bring a puppy into our home we know that they're still in that sensitive period for socialization and we want to take them to puppy class and make sure they're socialized to lots of different people and get used to household sounds and so on. With a kitten the sensitive period is so early we want to make sure that you're getting a kitten from somewhere where the breeder has done that for you and then it's still important to build on that when they come into your home so they're still young their brain is still malleable and plastic but they're past that period you just have to kind of build on whatever experiences they've had but we know for example that it's important for kittens to be handled by multiple people when they're small four or five people because if they're only handled by one person what happens is they get used to that one person and they can become quite fixated on that one person but they're not going to be very friendly to other people whereas if they're handled by multiple people then as young cats or adult cats they will be friendly to more different people so So I I think that's one of the reasons why there's so much variation between kittens is just because there is a lot of variation in socialization. And some kittens, unfortunately, are not brought up in the best circumstances. And they're probably not going to be so confident around people as adult cats. They're going to be much shyer. And obviously, there are other factors, like genetics, uh, maternal stress, and when the kitten's in the womb and things like that. But that sensitive period thing, it's something that a lot of people don't know. And yet, as people with dogs, we're used to knowing that that's something that we have to think about all the time. And so for kittens, it's kind of a bit different. And it really does come into where are you getting your kitten from are they being raised in a home surrounded by household sounds rather than in a barn or someone's garden shed or something where they're not getting used to dishwashers and washing machines and children and so on and you really need that to happen and it's something people don't think about
1: no i was absolutely blown away when you said that i had no idea it was that short a time period So what I found interesting is when you said if they're only handled by one person, they may fixate on that person. It almost sounds like imprinting, kind of like, you know, birds will imprint on the first thing that they see. That's why baby geese follow their mother. It almost sounds like there's an imprinting factor going on with kittens as well. And that in order to avoid that, you have to have them handled by multiple people during that time period when they are adjusting their attention towards adults.
2: Yeah. I mean their brain is learning so many things and if they're handled by multiple different people, then they're they're learning that, oh yeah, there are gonna be lots of different people in my life and then they'll build on that and be sociable to and friendly to lots of different people. So
0: Zazie, how sticky are they as far as for example, if like my cat was, you know, found at seven or eight months and was neutered and ended up in rescue and just, you know, got trapped basically. So he's crazy social with dogs. Like he thinks dogs are hysterical. But based on what you're saying, it sounds like if a kitten, very young, wasn't around dogs, didn't have exposures that were positive to dogs, it sounds like you probably are not going to be super successful trying to introduce a a dog or a
2: puppy to that cat. Is that true? Yeah, it's going to be much more difficult. Um, So that. Isn't a huge lot of research on cats and dogs getting on, but one of the things we know is that it works out best when a kitten has been around other. Do- dogs when they were young similarly I mean obviously it's going to work out best for the dog we know if, they, if they've been around or at least seen some cats when they were puppies that's going to help as well but yeah so if you're bringing a kitten into a home it's much easier with a kitten if you're bringing home an adult cat who's never been around dogs it's going to be very hard for them to get used to being in a home with a the dog they may find it quite frightening and stressful because they're not used to dogs and and dogs are big and they can be threatening and obviously some dogs actually will attack or even eat kill cats they may think of cats as food so it's going to be quite a challenge to bring them in together so if you're getting a cat or a kitten and you already have a dog you can first of all if you're getting an adult cat make sure you're getting one that you know is used to dogs already and friendly um, and that helps. For example, when I got a dog last year, I had the advantage of knowing already that my cats had got on with my previous dog, so they were likely to accept a new dog so long as that dog was friendly to cats. That was a good thing to know. But if you bring home a kitten, I think if they're still a kitten, they're going to be able probably to adjust to a dog, but it's going to take them longer. But it will really be best if they have had some experience with a dog before.
1: So, Zazie, one of the things I, when you were talking about introducing you know, kittens to a household with dogs, several questions came to mind. But one of the things that I know can be very difficult for people is introducing a new cat or new kitten to an existing cat in the house. Do you cover that in the book? Because, okay, I have confession here. It's brand new book. Haven't gotten it yet. So I'm going to just put my ignorance on display here. So that's one of the things that I think a lot of people would really want some good information on is if I want to get a second or third or fourth cat, how do we do introductions?
2: Yeah, so I mentioned it in the book. It's relatively short because the book goes all through a cat's life. And some of the other material also about setting your home up is very important and kind of fundamental to everything including if you're going to be bringing another cat home but the thing is that cats aren't necessarily social with other cats this is another way in which there's a lot of individual variation so if we think about a cat they can live completely on their own they're solitary hunters they can catch mice on their own they don't share their meals because the mouse is quite a small meal So they're not necessarily going to be sociable with another cat. On the other hand, we know from some of the feral cat colonies that cats can cooperate quite a lot. Mother cats, especially, can cooperate a lot with each other. They will look after each other's kittens, move them out of harm's way, even suckle the other cat's kittens and so on. So they can also be very sociable. And it's going to depend in part on their early experiences. So if their their mom was good with other cats and as a kitten they saw their mom interacting with other cats, that's going to help. They themselves, if they've been around other cats that will help too. In general, it's a good idea if you're getting a kitten to actually get two kittens so that they will keep each other company, especially if you know that down the line you're going to want another cat. It's much, much better to start off with two kittens or two adult cats who are already bonded to each other, which you can get from a shelter or rescue, than to get one cat and then you don't know if they're going to get on with another cat and you have to think about trying to match their personality. Pick another cat or kitten that's gonna be good with them, it's not necessarily going to work out quite well. And there are quite a few people who have multi-cat homes where they do get on really well. And you can tell that they're part of the same social group if they are, for example, rubbing their head on each other, cuddling up together, grooming each other, sharing the same space. But also you get multi-cat homes where actually the cats aren't part of the same social group. They don't get on terribly well. And there's not necessarily overt fighting, which people find quite easy to spot, obviously. But it might just simply be that one cat is blocking another cat from getting access to resources, like to the food or to the litter tray or something like that. And that's a more subtle sign that people often miss and they don't necessarily realise that their cats aren't getting on. Do you find that people tend to oversimplify how
0: quote easy a cat is? Like, do they just default to my cat's healthy and happy and cats don't need enrichment? Like it's just a cat. Do you get a little bit of that stuff from we naughty dog people? (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think you get that from a lot of people actually I think there is a perception that cats are easy pets that if you don't have that energy for a dog well then you can get a cat because the cat's going to be easy and okay so you don't have to take them for walks you can train them too if you want to but most people don't and that's okay but especially if the cat is indoors only And there are lots of good reasons why some people, depending where they live, might choose to keep their cat indoors only. And my cats are indoors only because it's much safer for them. But that means they can't go out and find their own enrichment. They can't go sit in the long grass outside and follow smells and listen to birds and watch insects fly by and so on. So they just have this kind of barren environment in the house and it really helps if you provide more things for your cat, if you give your cat things to do, if you make sure that the environment is set up right for them and these are things that a lot of people don't really think about until they get to a point where their cat is having behaviour issues and if you set all of these things up right to start off with... Instead of just assuming, oh, my cat is happy, but you think, oh, what can I do to make my cat happier? Then you're going to have fewer behavior issues and you're also going to have a better relationship with your cat.
1: That was going to be my next question is that if you increase your cat's happiness by enriching its environment, it's going to have fewer or less severe behavior problems. And then the other thing I was wondering is if you have a multi species household, so you have dogs and cats if you have enrichment for your cats and enrichment for your dogs so that both of them are happier do you find that you have fewer behavior problems between species?
2: It would stand to reason, wouldn't it? And I don't think anyone has specifically tested that, but it it would make sense. What we do know about the relationship between dogs and cats is that actually the cat is the most important part of the equation. There's a couple of studies that have found that if the cat is comfortable with the dog, then they're likely to have a good relationship and that cat's comfort is much more important than the dog's comfort and i think that makes sense because the cat is the smaller more vulnerable part of the equation and so the kinds of things that we can yeah, do yeah
0: i'm i'm going to throw a flag on that jazzy <laughs> cuz if you've ever tried to give a cat a bath i would not consider that cat vulnerable it's kind of like trying to i don't know put a raccoon in a net
2: like they're pretty good at defending themselves
0: <laughs> sounds to me it'd
1: be like kind of like trying to bathe a kraken you know
2: but you don't want to put them in that situation where they have to defend themselves oh, yes. and that's how it is with the with the dog okay right. so they may have to defend themselves or feel that they have to defend themselves <laughs> against the dog and you don't want that to happen and yes it's true that a cat can just scratch your dog's nose and that painful for the dog and that awkward often is enough to sort out a relationship but you don't want the cat to have to attack the dog and I was
0: and I was teasing more than anything else but I was like hey Zaz you ever tried to put a cat in a crate because like they're pretty good it's a little bit like wrestling a squid like they're pretty good at not yeah. doing what they've Again, more like training a woman, I think.
1: Well, it's like they grow extra arms and legs. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, so Christopher always jokes when he picks Quinn up that Quinn must have a tube of ball bearings in the middle of his body and he just shifts his center of gravity however he wants it so that parts of the cat are difficult to hold on to. I mean, our cat's hysterical. He's a pain in the butt, but he's my pain in the butt. But they are, they're really fascinating creatures. They're really, really fascinating. I had a local vet who was interested in cat behavior tell me that cats really have more like a primate brain. So if you think more monkey, they
2: make more sense to you that way. Maybe, but can I come back to the crate thing? Because you're absolutely right. So many people have this experience of getting the carrier out because they've got to take their cat to the vet and the cat has these extra right. arms and it's or oh, even they just run and hidden it and you can't even find them right. never mind forced to be but if you think about it as a dog person if you were trying to put a dog in a crate what would you do to get your dog to go you would train them so right. you know you can train your cat and I and have
0: like my, my cat sleeps in his crate goes in the dog's crate like he's he's perfect. not
2: that kid But I was was joking, Sassy. I know, but there's a serious point that I want to get across because for people who aren't like you who there are so many people who think that you cannot train a cat and actually you can train a cat and you can train a cat with positive reinforcement just like a dog and you can train them to go in their carrier and it's easier if you start with a kitten but you can do it with if you're starting with an adult cat who's had those horrible horrible experiences and is terrified of it you can do it and there is a plan to teach your cat to go in their cat carrier in the back of the book and one of the reasons it's so important important. A is because people don't take their cat to the vet as much as they should do because they find it so difficult. And the other is that there is actually some research that shows that when cats have been trained to go in their carrier, it is much easier to take them to the vet. They're less stressed in the car on the way there. They're less stressed actually at the vet and the vet is able to complete the exam instead of having to give up because the cat is so stressed. So I mean, we go from this stereotype and this experience that so many people have with their cats that they can't get them to the vet. And actually, if you follow a, a training plan, and you may have to do it very slowly if you're starting with an adult cat, but if you go at the cat's pace and you teach them, it makes such a big difference. And that's why I included two training plans at the back of her. And One of them is for teaching your cat to go in their carrier because it makes such a big difference to a cat's life.
1: You know, it's interesting. I think that there is this fear among animals of containment in a way that I have no ability to get out. We had a horse who she would load into a really uh, into a large trailer, but she would not load into a box trailer. It was too confined for her. So we taught her using positive reinforcement to target her nose to a hot pad. And then we just put the hot pad in the door of the box trailer and progressively moved it back until she targeted and she would load. And it didn't take that long. But I think that people have a tendency to say, oh, this animal can't do it. I'm done. And I think that it's a real testament to positive reinforcement training that if you take a step back, that it really does work. It works on cats. It works on horses. And by the way, it works on husbands. Just want to throw that one out there. Okay, That's now, funny because now
0: we're all wondering what you're currently teaching, Brad.
1: He's too old to be taught, but but in general, he's one of those exceptions to the rules.
0: So Zazie, you'd be you'd be interested to know that my staff and I are working through the Cooperative Care book with, from Dr. Deborah Jones, and using it with our cats as well as our dogs. And honestly, it can be pretty easily adjusted for toddlers, but. It's my cat's annual visit was last week. And he's always been good about going in and out of a crate. We've always done like if I give him treats, they happen in the crate, just like I would do with a puppy. He often just sleeps in there on his own. He's totally comfortable with it. But I took those churu treats. It's like a liquid in a tube. I don't know if they have them in Canada. Yeah. yeah. But I took that for his annual visit when I took him last week. And handed that to the vet tech. And I mean, I don't think he loved going to the vet, but it was much less stressful than it had been previously. We used feel away. I did some things specifically to go, okay, dude, we're going to let you settle out and be a little more relaxed. Is there any research on those new crates where the top slides and the bottom tray stays the same for cats for like transportation and vet visits? That whether or not that's less
2: stressful? It's recommended to have some kind of crate in which the top comes off, either slides off or actually lifts off, because then the cat doesn't come out, have to come out of the crate in the vet exam, and the vet can just examine them in the base of the crate. And it's much less stressful for the cat for that to happen. So, yeah, that's, that's a really good idea and a good thing to do. And I'm so glad that that went much better for you. But I also want to say something about medication, because one of my cats – he used to be really good at going to the vet. He's very good at going in his carrier, but after he developed diabetes and some other health issues, and he started to having to have lots of unpleasant things happen at the vet, and he wasn't very cooperative with that. And our vet does give us gabapentin to give him before he goes to the vet. And I do want to say that if someone's vet recommends that they medicate the pet before going to the vet, I think it's worth taking your vet's advice basically and I think a lot of people feel very uncomfortable about doing that but ultimately you have to do what's best for the cat You know, and this is what's best for my cat. That's why my vet recommended it. And so that's why I do it. And he has he has to have two injections a day of of insulin. And he's really good with that. You know, he's quite used to that. He, He comes to get his injection every day and he gets a treat afterwards and he gets his meals at the same time. And that is all absolutely fine. It's just the stuff at the vet that he is no longer very happy with because it involves blood tests and other things like that so
1: you know I think that that's something to remember I remember when when one of my dogs was being treated for cancer and he was really cooperative at the vets he would just trot in he loved them but they had to do a blood draw every time and his veins started to get hard and it, he got to the point where it was becoming increasingly difficult for him to be cooperative in a situation where he had been cooperative So I think it's important to remember that just because you have gotten your cat or your dog to a certain point, if circumstances change dramatically, you need to take a step back and ask yourself, how is it that I can get back to a more cooperative nature for my dog or my cat? And you're right. One of the ways may be we're going to have to give you just a mild sedation so that you can function in this. And so I think that it's important to recommend, to remember that things change over time. And just because it's great now, doesn't mean you don't need to be paying attention because things may change dramatically if their health condition changes dramatically. I did have one quick question. You said adopt two cats at once, preferably two kittens, which in my head, dogs, we don't recommend that people adopt litter mates, but it sounds like you are suggesting that adopting kittens that are litter mates is a perfectly acceptable and, and good thing to do?
2: It is. It's a perfectly fine thing to do. And indeed some places actually will not adopt a singleton kitten. They want them to go together because it's good for them to have each other's company. It gives them things to do. It means they have each other to play with. And as they grow up, they are more likely to continue to get on with each other. It's not guaranteed, but it's much more likely than if you just bring home another random cat in the hopes that it will get on with your existing cat. We haven't talked about kitten kindergarten and it's great if you take your kittens to kitten kindergarten, but it's not like having a puppy. It's not so overwhelming as that. Yes, you have to kitten-proof your house but you don't have to take them out and about doing lots of socialization. They're possibly already house trained and litter trained when they come to you. Not necessarily, but probably they are. So it's not overwhelming in the sense that a puppy can be so overwhelming for people sometimes. And two kittens will get on well with each other and it's good for them and good for their development that they can continue to play with each other as they grow up and grow older.
1: And you don't find that that takes away from their bonding to the people in the house?
2: So long as they've been well exposed to people, then they're still going to bond well with the people in the house. And it's it's not going to be an issue at all. And, you know, I think, again, it comes back to those early experiences. If they've been exposed to m- and handled by four or five people when they're kittens, then they're going to be okay. Uh, and most kittens that you get from a, a good breeder or a good rescue they will have been so they they will be okay when they come to your home
0: okay so selfishly I have questions so our cat is 12 he's been an indoor cat the whole time I've had him because we have coyotes here and he thinks dogs are awesome so he has no self-preservation so I have spent tons of money on toys and he always just thinks they're stupid he does not play with toys I get him jingle balls he's like that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life I get him the little thing that you chase the ball around he's like that's dumb got him the thing that is like flipping around a bird he's like that's dumb I don't know why we're talking about this the only thing he appears to really really like is stealing kibble from the dogs and when the anoles come in in the fall and then he chases lizards around the inside of my house. And while I love you and I want my cat to be fully enriched, I'm not throwing geckos out in my house. So, I mean, do I bring home crickets for him? <laughs> like, What are some ideas for, for the cat who is like, that's dumb, that's dumb, that's dumb, that's dumb. How do you find something that your
2: cat's gonna enjoy? There's a whole range of things that you can do. But one thing as a more general thing, not necessarily for your cat, is that cats can get very bored of toys quite easily. So they do need their toys to rotate. Um, You don't have to be buying new toys all the time. You can just put them away for a bit and bring them out again. Some cats have preferences for certain types of toy in the same way that some cats will specialize in certain kinds of prey. So it may be that your cat is a specialist in lizards and geckos (laughs) but not so much a specialist in mice or toy birds or toy fish or anything like that but some cats like to have a toy that moves so like a flapping fish for example especially if they're a bolder cat because a shy cat can find that kind of toy that moves itself a bit much Another thing that you can do, though, is that you can make something that Dr. Sarah Ellis calls a sensory box. Basically, you can bring bits of the outside in for your cat to explore. So you get a box and you pick up things from outside that are safe for the cat, whether it's stones or bits of plant that are safe or anything, a feather that you find, whatever bring it in and give your cat the opportunity to explore those items. That's one thing that you can do. Never put the cat down in the box. Always give the cat a choice. Like if you've got a bold cat, like your your cat sounds quite bold, they're probably just going to march up and look at it. Some people's cats will be quite shy and it might take them quite a while to actually approach this box and smell it. And you have to let them do it in their own time. That's one option. Another thing you can do is training because some cats like to do training just for fun. And again, if you're used to training already, you will have lots of plans that you can use to teach sit down, sit pretty, and so on. You can just follow those plans. I do have a plan for teaching sit pretty in the back of the book, just to get people interested in the idea of training their cat tricks. He does it already. Ah, well, see, I thought he, he also might be. Your... <gasps> he also heals.
0: He does heel position and offside. I mean, he he follows all the dog lessons.
2: Wonderful. That's perfect. And another thing that you can do, and maybe your cat does this already as well, is you can try scent work. Cats can do nose work too. So you can try a little bit of nose work in your home if you want to. That's something I'll, you know, just spread some boxes about, put a treat in each box, let the cat in the room to jump in the boxes and find them. Again, don't put the cat in the box, let the cat explore the boxes in their own time. And then over time, you can make that gradually harder. Only put a treat in one box, add extra treats when the cat finds it and so on. You can even find nosework classes for cats and tricks classes for cats online now. And you can certify your cat as a trick cat or a nosework cat if you want to. So there's a whole load of things that you can do with your cat that you didn't used to be able to do. And those are those are options as well. But the thing about play and for everyone listening who has a cat, it is important to make sure that your cat has opportunities to play and which are using the predatory instinct, because when the cat is chasing a toy, it's the same kind of thing. It's like that they're, they're treating the toy as if it's a toy mouse or a toy lizard, that perhaps is what your cat would like. And so time with to play with a one toy is important. And there is some research that shows that when cats have more time spent playing with the one toy, they actually are less likely to have behavior issues. Um, so that's an important thing for people to do, especially if their cat is indoors only. And my cats are indoors only too, because like you, we have we have coyotes, we have cougars, it's just not safe for them outside. So they have to be indoors. Zazie,
1: I have a, a question for you on play. I remember going to uh, the Midwestern Veterinary Conference, and I would always devote at least one day, at least a half a day to cat stuff and learning about cat language and stuff, because a lot of my clients have cats, but they were talking about play and that cats play very differently from dogs and that they tend to do it in short little bursts that tends to be a few minutes at a time or a few swipes. Have you found that to be true as well? And is that something that people need to understand that their dog or their cat is how it plays so that they can more effectively play with the cat.
2: Yeah and so you have to think about if if you're playing with a one toy you need to move the one toy as if it's a prey so as if it's a mouse or as if it's a bird or a dragonfly or something and also part of the predatory sequence is that first stage of looking and searching and watching so in the beginning your cat is going to be watching and sometimes I think people feel oh this isn't working my cat's not being athletic and leaping in the air all over the place and they give up at that point when actually if the cat is watching then you, you should keep on going and give them a bit of time to get into the mood and into the searching of it and and then into the stalking and a younger cat is going to be much more athletic and an older cat is not not necessarily going to be leaping into the air like that anyway. But even if an older cat is just watching it and then making a short run at it, it, they're still engaged with it in that, you know, from that point of view so you should still keep on keep on doing it and it can be quite hard to to keep it going for a long time you're practicing your own skills and again I think people give up quite easily but you have to think you're practicing your skills in getting your cat interested it's going to depend so like Tina your cat has the dogs for enrichment and it's very very different for a cat who doesn't have other cats in the home other dogs in the home maybe the people work a lot there's not a lot going on that kind of cat is really going to need a lot more enrichment because there is less happening in the home. Anyway, that's of interest to them? So he does. The last dog that was given to
0: us is a cat killer. So he has much less access than he has had in the past because in order to keep him safe, there's a lot more separation because it's dangerous for him. So we endeavor to do a really great job keeping him safe, much to his chagrin. We, and we didn't know that the dog had actually been encouraged to kill cats before he was given to us. We were driving away when they decided to impart that bit of information. So I mean, he's a great dog, but he was literally trained to kill cats. So he's serious about it. And our cat's a doofus. So he just thinks he can be friends. So he's constantly trying to make friends with him. And I'm like, that's a bad idea, cat. But I do feel bad for the cat. Like, I miss him. When Mister's on vacation, the little dog, the cat gets a lot more interaction and gets to play with our other dogs. And I probably need to put more effort into accommodating that for him. I also learned, so he doesn't like regular catnip, but he likes liquid catnip. So I've brought some of that into his world. And he thinks that's pretty pretty fun.
2: That's great. And you know, the catnip response is genetic. So not all cats respond to catnip. Around a third of cats don't respond to catnip. But there are a few other plants that have a similar kind of effect. And just because a cat doesn't respond to catnip, it doesn't mean that they're not going to respond to those other plants. So silver vine is worth a try, which you can get as a stick. And you can also get it as a powder, which is the powder from the galls of the silver vine plant and both of my cats one cat especially really really loves silver vine much more than catnip and even though she rolls around on catnip too and also valerian which is a herb um, and it's I think it's more commonly in cat toys in England to be honest but you can get that here too and also honeysuckle uh, tatarian honeysuckle which you can get as blocks of wood and I think that's easier to get in Canada there's somewhere in Canada that grows it and sells it but that's worth a try as well and depending on the cat, most cats will respond to a, at least one of these, but it seems to be genetic. Um, we don't fully understand the catnip response. And so I don't know why some cats respond to some of these plants and not others, but it's it's fun to try them with your cat and just to see. And a lot of cat toys now, actually, they contain catnip and silvervine, just to kind of cover both bases, <laughs> increase the likelihood that a cat will respond to them.
1: So, Zanzi, I was thinking about having indoor cats. I think that in addition to the, the box and bringing, you know, things into the cat, um, and training them to be sent. We did a, a, episode on scent work and I don't know what kind of colors cats see, but dogs are colorblind in the sense that green and red are the same. So you can put like a scent on a green velvet or, or, or felt or red felt square and place those around and create a trail for the dog especially if it's outside, he won't be able to see the difference between them. And I didn't know if that was something that would work for cats. But the other thing I was thinking is that there are other ways to bring the outside world to your cat. There's these catteries that you can get that are you know, extensions of your windows, like a, a garden window that your dog can sit in. Or I saw one, it was great. It, was, it went out a second story window and it was like a catwalk and they built it out and the cat could literally get outside but was enclosed in this cage like a catwalk but it was an enclosed catwalk that was made out of wire and it was just really cool so i mean these people spent a lot of money to do that but i think there are probably lesser expensive ways for your your cat to get an outdoor experience especially if your cat can be leash trained you could probably take them out that way and the other thing i wanted you to talk about is one of the things that was Impressed upon me at the Midwestern Veterinary Conference was the importance of cats having the ability to go up, to get up. And I remember seeing a video just a few days ago, it was really cool. These two cats were playing and they had a cat scratching pole that had different levels. So, and it was probably, I don't know, eight feet high with different levels. And then they had, they could jump to a shelf that ran along the top of the ceiling or, you know, like a foot down from the ceiling and then over. To where they could jump to a balcony, a second floor balcony. And these cats had this great chase game of going up the catwalk, across the shelf, leap onto the balcony, back down the stairs. And I thought, you know, I think there are ways that you can create some really creative, and these were really attractive. I wouldn't have noticed those things if the cats hadn't been running along them. Let's put it that way.
2: Yeah, these are all really fantastic ideas. So, uh catio's or cat walks that are outside but enclosed are really nice places for cats to go. I wish I could have one. I kind of dream of having one one day. It would be really a really cool thing to have, I think. You can leash train your cat to go on walks, especially if you live somewhere where it's relatively safe to do that and or if you carry something with you that the cat can go into if they get nervous or if the situation gets a bit difficult like if you have loose dogs in your neighborhood then it's not such an easy thing to do for example but in lots of places it and and people i think are getting more used to seeing cats being taken for walks on leash as well so you know that's a good thing and then all these things you can do in your house cats like to be high up and perch and they also like to have safe spaces where they can just go and, and hide if they want to, because the cat's natural response to stress is to hide. But yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. We all of us have space in our homes that's kind of high up where the cat can't get. But if we put things up there, we're not using that space. So it's very easy to put shelves up there or hammocks up there. And also you can even get some scratching posts that are floor to ceiling. So the cat can just climb all the way up. And these are wonderful ways to provide enrichment for cats to make your home more suitable for a cat. The only thing to remember in a multi-cat home is that you should have more than one way up and down. So you don't want one cat to go up and then to have their route down blocked by another cat in the home. So there have to be different ways up and down. But yeah, I think these are fantastic things that people can do. And even just providing a bookshelf can help. And there was even a study in which the researchers got a, a, a bookshelf and put it in a room to see if the cats would use it and it was one that had levels that the cats could go in and they could go on top and of course they used it but the thing is once you've provided these things you have to keep providing them for cats as well so even just to look at the bookshelves that we have and the bookshelf behind me is not very cat friendly but that I've got another bookshelf in the room which is much more cat friendly and actually it's one from Ikea and Ikea even sells special pet inserts that you can put in and if you want to, to make the little squares cozy, nice and cozy for the cat to go in. And my cat, especially one of my cats in particular, uses that bookshelf quite a bit.
1: Well, I was also thinking, too, is that I think having ability to get up and away from dogs is real important. When I'm, when I'm working with families that have cats and dogs and there's issues, one of the things that I almost always insist on is you need to have a safe space for your cat and he needs to be able to get away from the dog by either going up or through a gate where the dog can't get through to another part of the house. But I think it's really important for cats to feel like they have some agency here.
2: Yes, it's really important for the cat to feel safe. And we know that makes a big difference in how they get on with a with dog. And so, as you say, high up places where they can go up and the dog can't get to, going through a pet gate into a room where the dog can't go. But also just simple things like pulling a settee out from the wall can make a tiny little space behind where a cat can go. And unless you have a really tiny dog, the dog can't get. And that can help. Or just putting cat trees in so the cat has cat condos that they can go up into. And I think all of these things give the cat spaces where they can go and get away from the dog. And it makes them feel much safer. And so then they're going to feel less threatened by the dog and they'll get on better with the dog.
0: So if there were three basics that every cat owner should know, like if there were just three things, what would it be?
2: So Give your cat safe spaces in your home. That's really, really important. And the safe spaces should be kind of just the right size for the cat. And if you don't want to go out and invest in lots of cat condos, then just use a cardboard box. We all know that cats like cardboard boxes. You can turn the box upside down, cut a little hole in to make a little nice hiding place there. That will do. Another one is that cats need scratching posts. Cats have to scratch because scratching is a normal behavior for them. And it's how they keep their claws in good condition and also they're depositing pheromones when they're scratching so I think it's up to us to provide scratching posts that they actually like and research shows that when we do that they will use them and we can use positive reinforcement to encourage them to keep using the scratching post and most people pick scratching posts that are too short and too flimsy and they need to be nice and tall so they can get a good stretch and they need to be nice and sturdy so for example not those things that you stick on a door that you hang on a door they're quite popular with people but they're not very popular with cats because the door moves and they're not high enough and so on and then it becomes hard to pick just one as the third one I think I would say that you can train a cat because I think most people think you can't and I think it makes a big difference to cats when you do train them and you should train them with positive reinforcement you mustn't ever punish your cat or squirt them with water or shake a can at them or anything like that because just like with dogs these aversive methods have the risk of causing fear and anxiety and stress um, because your cat is quite possibly going to associate the shake can or the squirt of water with you, it's going to affect your relationship with your cat in a, in a detrimental way. Whereas if you use positive reinforcement, it's a good way to train them and it's fun for you and the cat. So it's actually going to build and improve your relationship with them as well.
1: Great, Zuzi. Those are three super tips. The other thing is I would like you to tell people where they can find purr. The signs of making your cat happy.
2: So PER is available from all good bookstores. It's also available as an ebook and an audio book. And if you're in Canada and would like a signed copy, then you can go to blackbondbooks.com forward slash Purr. Or you can find that link on my website, companionanimalpsychology.com as well.
1: And Amazon. It
0: is available on Amazon. <laughs>
2: and Amazon, yes. It is available from Amazon too, yes.
0: While we were here, I ordered it for one of my staff who has a grouchy cat. So it'll arrive to her Friday, so before this even gets published.
1: Yes, I was going to order it for my daughter who has four cats. So could definitely use a little bit of help with keeping those four cats healthy. They all seem to adopt her. She never goes out and specifically adopts cats. They seem to, to say, okay, we're going to live with you now. And she says, yes.
0: So you said that you wrote this for all stages of a cat's life. Did you also write it for all nine of each
2: cat's lives? (laughs) Hopefully, if they have the book, they won't need to get through all of those nine lives. (laughs) (laughs) Fingers crossed. (laughs) Because (laughs) at least it will help to reduce some of their stress and help them to have a happier, a happier time. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I love that you do this work and you richly bless the world for people and for dogs and cats. What are you going to do next?
2: I, well, specifically next, I'm going to have a rest, to be honest. <laughs> and after that, I'm actually, at this point, I'm not quite sure. I do have an idea for something else I would like to do, but we have to wait and see if we can make it happen. So, wait, so um, is
0: it going to be the science of making your horse happy?
2: Do you know, I'm actually not a horse person. I don't know enough about horses. So I would love for someone to write that book, but I would not be the right person to do it. I love horses, but I, I, you know, I've never been around them enough and I, I don't know enough about them. But uh, I do see some really interesting research about horses. I think, you know, certainly there is some very interesting science around training horses and horses' interactions with people and how horses behave. So I think there is a lot there, but it's just that I don't know enough about horses to be the person to do that.
1: Maybe she could do lizards and then she could pass it on to you, Tina, so you could have the trained geckos.
0: The lizards in our house, like it happens every October, it's worth friending me on Facebook just for lizard season because it's a hot mess. They're coming in because it's cold outside and the cat's like, stop stealing my lizard. It's <laughs> it's a mess. I've learned more about anoles than any non-lizard person should ever have to learn.
1: <laughs>
0: like, like, are they poisonous, not venomous? Are they poisonous, right? Because the cat gets them and then i can't get them away from them you mean kind
1: of like toads toads can excrete in their skin it's, it's almost hallucinogenic. we had a dog who was addicted to licking toads so he would know exactly in the evening when the toads would come out and he'd insist on going for a walk and then he'd grab them and he'd lick them and hold on to them and then spit them out and then he'd be like oh wow man so i think he was like hallucinating on toad excretions he was an Interesting dog.
0: I have a couple here in town who are psychologists and they're wonderful. They have this wonderful English cream, golden retriever girl who helps them in therapy. And she became addicted to hallucinogenic mushrooms. Wow. But of course, dogs don't really tell the difference between the ones that are hallucinogenic and the ones that are toxic. I I mean, I'm laughing about it now, but it it really wasn't funny. She kept making herself quite, quite severely ill and I got to learn it's almost impossible to get mushrooms off your property. Like there's no way really to eliminate it. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about how those, how quickly that addiction can set in and how powerful it can be, even in a dog. So I know there's new research. Dr. Becker, for example, has been sharing that a dog would have to ingest an enormous amount of garlic in order for it to actually be toxic and cause problems. In cats, I know lilies are deadly. Like anybody who sends me flowers, the very first thing I'm doing is pulling all the lilies out and throwing them out in the yard. Are there things that people don't realize are super dangerous to their cats that they need to know about?
2: I think lilies is the worst one because lilies are... Dangerous, and most people just don't know. And antifreeze is another one because um, antifreeze poisoning, especially for cats that get to go outside, it can be quite an issue there. So, because I think it's something that they they want to go and lick, and then it's it's very very bad for them and can kill them. So, that's another thing to watch out for in particular as well.
1: All right. Well, thank you, Zazzy, so much for joining us again on your family dog, and we will certainly have links to your website. To purr on Amazon, and we hope that it is just as—I'm sure it's just as wonderful as Wagon—that it's just as successful, because cats need the the same loving attention that dogs do, and we're really grateful that you're out here doing this kind of research and writing these kinds of books that are make a difference in in innumerable lives of cats and people. So thank you so much for joining us.
0: You're like the fairy godmother of happy. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure to come and chat with you again. So really, anytime you want to come and focus on specific kinds of enrichment, like that, things that kids can help with or ways to improve relationships, we'd always love to have you back. You're always
2: a rich blessing. Thank you. I'd love to be back again sometime. And maybe when you've had the chance to read the book, you know, you might have new questions. (laughs) We would love that.
1: Yes, that would be great. That would be great. All right. Well, thank you. And we'll see you all next time on Your Family Dog.
0: Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.